We have kind of a, a family story that we like to tell. How did this little education institution in the you know rural high desert Southern California get connected with NASA? They get uh, teachers and, and schools and stuff plugged in. They actually operate one of our antennas and gather science. And that's pretty cool. Students are learning science by doing real science. I really liked being able to operate the radio telescope. Usually you hear scientists with big names doing big things like that. People notice that you're really passionate about something. And if you love it, that's more than enough. My name is Steve Levin, and I'm the project scientist for Juno, as well as the lead scientist for the Goldstone Apple Valley Radio Telescope Project. We heard from Steve in our last episode, where he talked about his role studying Jupiter through the Juno mission at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Gavert, the Goldstone Apple Valley Radio Telescope Project, is a project where we take a large radio telescope at the DSN's Goldstone Complex and essentially let school kids run the telescope. So from their classroom, with the support of their teacher and the support of the Lewis Center for Educational Research in Apple Valley, school kids over the internet take over control of a 34 meter radio telescope and do real science with it. We spoke about the Goldstone Deep Space Communications Complex in an earlier episode this season called Follow the Sun. It's one of NASA's three deep space network complexes worldwide. One of Goldstone's retired, but still operational, antennas is a key feature of Gavert. It's used in a similar manner as an optical telescope, but sees radio waves as opposed to visible light. It's a partnership between JPL and the Lewis Center and NASA and the Deep Space Network, and of course a lot of uh, schools across the country and indeed across the world, in which the kids need to get something educational out of it, and the community needs to get some science contribution out of it. And those two things work together really well synergistically because it's very valuable for the kids to know that they're making a real scientific contribution. The Gavert project uh, in many ways is my favorite project. It's sort of a shoestring operation, but it's, it's everybody who's involved with it because they love it. Gavert is loved by many. It's a favorite citizen science effort for the space communications and navigation community at NASA, one that always impresses scientists and students alike. NASA helps fund the Gavert project and maintain its antenna. Students involved in Gavert conduct radio astronomical observations, observing natural objects like Jupiter and the Sun, while collecting tangible data that complements NASA missions and research. It's a lot of fun for the scientists to work with the kids. I probably talk to Gavert students maybe once a month over Zoom or in their classroom. Scientific papers have been published using Gavert data with contribution from Gavert students. Bob Haroldson at the Goldstone Deep Space Communications Complex certainly finds it rewarding. What's really cool is I'm also supporting the uh, Goldstone Apple Valley Radio Telescope program. And that is really awesome stuff right there. You know, JPL and NASA, they're partner up with the Lewis Center down in Apple Valley and they get uh, teachers and, and schools and stuff plugged in and they actually operate one of our antennas and gather science and that's pretty cool. Students are learning science by doing real science. In today's episode of this Deep Space Network season, we'll chat with Lisa Lamb, who runs the Gavert program and is president and CEO of the Lewis Center, named after San Bernardino Congressman Jerry Lewis, who helped found the center. We'll also hear from two students who participated in Gavert, one locally 
and the other across the country. I'm Danny Baird. This is The Invisible Network. We choose to go to the moon in this detainment. My name is Lisa Lamb, and I'm the president and CEO for the Lewis Center for Educational Research. The Lewis Center is a really fun organization to be part of. Probably the most prominent thing we do is we operate two K-12 award-winning charter schools in Southern California. So one in Apple Valley, which is the high desert area of Southern California, and the other is in San Bernardino. So one is more rural and one is downtown urban. So I I wear the hat as a superintendent for our schools. Then the other hats that I get to wear are very diverse. So in addition to our charter schools, the Lewis Center also operates global and local programs. So GAVR is our longest standing and most prominent global program. We are currently in 44 states, 14 countries, and three U.S. territories. So what is GAVR? GAVR is a radio astronomy project that allows students from anywhere in the world to operate a 34-meter telescope out at Goldstone, and they can see the telescope move. We have uh, cameras on it, and, and they're able to join in one of four missions that we're doing currently. So those are Jupiter Quest. We work directly with the Juno mission to Jupiter and collect data on Jupiter. That's our oldest program. We've been doing that one for about 22 years. They can do black hole patrols, so they are looking at black holes and monitoring them over time. So that's a really great one that students who are going to be engaging over a length of time, like a class that operates weekly. And then we have SETI. They're looking for signals and that could be a candidate of extraterrestrial intelligence out there. And that's a really fun one because they can do that live through a Gavert session and they can also access that data and look back at what others have done and see if they can find some similarities between them. And then our fourth campaign is our new citizen science campaign called Solar Patrol. And this one is really great because for the first time, it will just be open to any citizen scientist. You don't have to be affiliated with a school or a museum or a Girl Scout or Boy Scout club or anything like that. We'll be doing open sessions so anybody from anywhere can join. And we'll be looking at space weather. The four campaigns rely on NASA subject matter experts as they gather data for NASA science or for other space research. We have a uh, scientist who's linked to each one of the campaigns. So let me take Jupiter Quest as an example, because our lead Gavert scientist, Dr. Steve Levin, is in charge of that. You know, I wear many hats. In addition to being the science lead for Jupiter, I'm also the science lead for the Gavert SETI campaign. So that's Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. We're using the radio telescope to look for techno signatures for radio signals of intelligent origin coming from other stars. And in addition to being, of course, an interesting science project and making a science contribution, that's a really valuable education project. One of the ways I like to think about that is when I talk to teachers about you know, how they do their job and what's important, one of the things they often talk about is student engagement. It's a really important thing to get the students interested and engaged in the class. Well, if I go to your classroom and I talk to the students and I say, today we're gonna look for life in outer space, 
I have 100% engagement. <laughs> Every single student is interested. And by putting together a program where they are both actually doing something meaningful, contributing to the, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, and learning in the process, we can have students have fun, do something valuable, and learn some science and math along the way. And how did the Lewis Center get involved in radio astronomy? We have kind of a, a family story that we like to tell. How did this little education institution in the you know rural high desert Southern California get connected with NASA? So the way that it worked was our founder, Rick Piercy, was a, a kindergarten teacher and then administrator, and he had a young astronauts program. And so he was looking for ways to engage the kids. And through some of his research, he found out that NASA was decommissioning two of the radio telescopes out at Goldstone. He had never done anything with radio astronomy. He was background as a kindergarten teacher and a park ranger. And so he just wanted kids to get excited about the sky and different things that they could see. And so he decided to just call up NASA and say, hey, can we use those for the school? I have a school, I have a you know program, and we really like to use one of those radio telescopes. And so they connected him with Dr. Mike Klein. Dr. Klein was very beloved at JPL and throughout NASA. And Rick and Mike just really hit it off. And so Rick had an idea, you know, at that time you could kind of just drive out to Goldstone and it wasn't as secured as it is now. And so the story goes that he took a pickup truck because he was thinking that he was going to pick this radio telescope up and bring it on back to the school. The scale of what a, a pickup truck would look like next to a 34 meter telescope. Clearly that was not going to work. This was 22, 23 years ago. We found a way, even back then, just basically using a phone line and one single computer on how to get kids all over the world connected to the radio telescope via that one phone line. You know, it's gotten a lot easier over time, but that's how that goes. Rick was always all about, it has to be real education for the students. And Mike was also adamant that it needed to be real science contribution for NASA. And so Gavert has always been those two things. We have been presented many opportunities but if they don't present real learning opportunities for students and result in real data and real new knowledge for NASA, then Gabbert doesn't do that project. It has to be both. And those opportunities aren't limited to students with an existing interest in STEM or those in gifted and talented programs. It's not always your A-plus students, right, who really light up. One funny story. So we had a, a parent call upset because um, her, kid, her son was staying up all night long and just, you know, on his computer, in his bedroom all night. And she's like, yeah, he's doing this thing called SETI. What is this search for extraterrestrial intelligence? And so he was looking for candidates. They can go online and they were studying SETI in school. And so he just was sure he was going to find ET and he was, you know, working at it every single night. And of course, then, you know, for me, I had to laugh and be like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> She's like, no, Miss Lamb, he needs to sleep. I said, I agree, but I think it's so great that he just has that fire. But it's not the typical students, right? That was not an honor student or somebody you would think that would be targeted for a career in astrophysics. It was just a, a very average student. While Gavert has yet to find any evidence of extraterrestrial life, it has found extraordinary ways to engage with students. 
It seems especially good at captivating students traditionally overlooked by STEM programs. We have a Gabber intro video that we did a, a couple years ago, and almost all of the students that are, are shown in that video are special education because I think that our work with Gabber really interests them because it's it's authentic, right? It's not textbook. They're looking for something that's really interesting. They get to work with some really great professionals from NASA, and they excel here. And maybe for the first time, they're doing something so significant, like NASA is allowing them to operate this 34 meter telescope and like trust them to do that. It's, I don't know, it just changes everything for them. For most students that get involved, Gavert is a hands-on way to learn about space science and exploration. For other students, it becomes a passion. We have a student who was actually just featured through the Juno campaign. Her name is Sarah Ducek. And she is out at Florida and she spent her whole COVID quarantine collecting Jupiter data, working with uh, our operator, Nancy Cruiser Jenkins. My name is Sarah Dujak and I'm from Tampa. I was born in Pittsburgh and I go to school at University of Pittsburgh and my major is geology. I want to keep researching on planets within the solar system and especially maybe extrasolar planets. I also really like magnetic fields. I'm definitely going to get at least a master's, maybe even a PhD, because I really want to conduct research. I really like researching. Outside of school? Um, Yeah, I do a lot of art. I play volleyball. I like to collect rocks. and look for fossils at my grandma's house. And I do a lot of amateur astronomy observing. So I have a telescope and um, my dad has a telescope and we'll go look at stars outside. During her high school years in Florida, Sarah got involved with Gavert. So one of my science teachers, he had a poster on like, it was just like a sheet of paper and it said telescope club on his window. And I was like, telescope club? That is exactly what I want to do. And I thought it was just going to be like the telescopes I used to observe optically. And it so was not. And I had never like interacted with radio telescopes or even really knew what they were before this. So I saw Telescope Club and I was like, sign me up. For someone already interested in astronomy, Gavert was a welcome challenge for Sarah. There's a lot of moving parts, obviously, on the telescopes. And even more so than you would think uh, through a screen. So you'd have to learn how to do the different maneuvers for the different types of sources that you're reading. So if you're reading Jupiter, you have to do a couple more on a different telescope. But if you're reading a black hole, you would do less procedures on another telescope. So you have to really get yourself familiarized with the different telescopes. Sarah participated in a few of Gavert's concentration areas before settling on Jupiter and the Juno mission. So the Black Hole Patrol was pretty much what everybody started off with because it's pretty accessible. But I did a lot of Jovian synchrotron radiation scans, which is scanning Jupiter, and that's a little less available, so I would do it at some weird times. I did my senior research project on Jupiter and its radiation. All throughout quarantine, I would wake up really early and Poor Miss Nancy, the lady I worked with at Gabbard, had to get up to really early, because she, earlier than me, because she's in California. My research was monitoring the Jovian synchrotron radiation um, emissions in relation to the spacecraft Juno that's currently up there. I would take the data that I took over quarantine, and I put it together and added to the data pool of what was already out there and corroborated it. 
Sarah's work with Juno Data has really informed her decision to pursue a STEM education. Gavert has pretty much shaped my academic and professional career. It's really exactly what I want to do, and I had no idea what I wanted to do before Gavert. I knew I was interested in astronomy, but the opportunity really made me realize what I wanted to do with my life, which is be a research scientist. You know, I was just doing it for fun, doing it after school a few days a week, and then um, it turned into something that I really loved and really liked to be around. Now, Sarah is something of an ambassador for Gavert, encouraging others to get involved. You can do it too. It is not as daunting as it, and as complicated as it seems. A lot of people see the scientific community, especially at NASA, as like really scary and there's no way I'm ever going to infiltrate that. But people notice that you're really passionate about something. And if you love it, that's more than enough. My name is Jennifer Weiss, and I'm from Apple Valley, California. I go to school at a local community college called the Victor Valley College. So I decided to do a double major, one in humanities and one in STEM. So my majors are English and math. Jennifer is another student Lisa recommended I speak with. I love art. I love literature. I like doing, okay, it's really weird. I do like STEM and I like humanities together. So when I tell people I can do like math and then I can go do art too, um, they get a little weirded out, but I like doing both. And I actually used to be a ballerina dancer. So there's like a lot of hobbies I have. As for Jennifer's participation in Gavert? It was actually an accident that I got involved. As a kid, I was never really one for STEM. So looking at Gavert and science, I was kind of like, uh, maybe I don't want to do it, but... As I was doing my schedule, there was nothing really for me to go into in high school. And the only option I had was the Gavert program. And once I got in there, I started getting more involved and I actually learned to love the program a lot. And that I found I do like STEM. There were a couple areas of research that I contributed to the most. One was doing black hole patrols on the radio telescope where we scan a piece of the sky and we'd write down all the info the graph would tell us and we'd send it up. And the second program I was part of was SETI. I really liked being able to operate the radio telescope. Usually you hear scientists with big names doing big things like that. But just as a high school student, being able to sit in the basement of my technology building and type in buttons on my laptop, and all of a sudden this huge telescope would move and you get to look at a different part of the sky, was truly amazing because not very many high school students get to do that. And I was just lucky to be in a school that could. Gavert also opened unique opportunities for her as a member of her school's Junior Reserve Officers Training Corps, or JROTC. In my senior year, the government let out a notice that they wanted 10 Air Force units to convert into Space Force as kind of like a little tester to see if we can get more Space Force programs, because that's a new branch of the military. So what helped us get from Air Force to Space Force was we already had a lot of Gavert and NASA and JPL within our small little high school. So when we sent that up, it helped us with getting picked to become part of the Space Force. Without Gavert, Jennifer doesn't necessarily think that her interest in STEM would have been nurtured in the same way. As a kid, I would find, you know, adding two plus three was easy. Writing an essay was easy. But once we got higher... And the curriculum, especially in math, got more difficult. 
I wasn't really enjoying it as much. So STEM really didn't fit well with me because I didn't like the challenge. So going into Gabber, I kind of had a negative connotation on it. But as I put in the time and the effort and I got to see things we did with numbers and then we took those numbers, put it on a big screen and visualized what we were doing, that really helped me grow as a person and realize what kind of learner I was. And it was I was able to help myself with learning new concepts, especially in math, because I would take those numbers and then I put it on like a little screen or a graph and I'd visualize it there. And it helped me understand the concept. Jennifer offers this advice for students curious about programs like Gavert, but nervous to try them out. So I would say before you judge a program and decide whether or not it's right for you, to go in and test out that program a little bit, maybe a month or two, because it really takes time before you're able to realize if you like it or not. Again, you're not gonna get things the first time, but if you just give up before you even started, then you don't know what you could have achieved. What makes Gavert unique, even among other hands-on STEM programs facilitated by NASA, is the chance to contribute to real scientific inquiry. That's the benefit of Gavert and NASA Citizen Science. Students can participate in the same hard-won joys earned by scientists after years of study and hard work. There's nothing abstract about it. You're using a real antenna to perform real science. The biggest win for us is that students can use Gavert as a tool and it helps them just get curious right? And also just feel empowered to do something that they never thought that they could do or just open a world, open some doors to them that they may not have considered. Hello. I'm Lawrence Coconet, Outreach Lead for the Deep Space Network at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Southern California. If you'd like to learn more about the Gabbert program, visit gabbert.lewiscenter.org. That's G-A-V-R-T dot L-E-W-I-S center dot org. The program is entirely free. All you need to participate is a laptop and a connection to the internet. We even have online trainings for teachers interested in getting their students involved with Gabbert. For details on teacher trainings, email the Gabbert Mission Control Team at mc at lcer.org. That's mc at lcer.org. Thank you for listening. Do you want to connect with us? The Invisible Network team is collecting questions about NASA's Deep Space Network from listeners like you. We're putting together a panel of NASA experts from across the space communications and navigation community to answer your questions. If you would like to participate, navigate over to NASA Scan on Twitter or Facebook and ask your questions using the hashtag AskScan. That's at NASA Scan, N-A-S-A-S-C-A-N, on social media with the hashtag AskScan. A-S-K-S-C-A-N. This Deep Space Network-focused season of The Invisible Network debuted in summer of 2022. Developed by NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Southern California, 
The Deep Space Network is managed by JPL, with funding and strategic oversight from the Space Communications and Navigation, or SCAN, program at NASA headquarters in Washington, D.C. This podcast is produced by SCAN at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland, with episodes written and recorded by me, Danny Baird. Editorial support is provided by Catherine Schauer and JPL's Lawrence Bocconi. Our public affairs officer is Laura Bleacher. Special thanks to fall 2021 interns Julia Addy and Nate Thomas, Barbara Addy, SCAN Policy and Strategic Communications Director, and all those who have lent their time, talent, and expertise to making the Invisible Network a reality. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. For transcripts of episodes, visit nasa.gov invisible. To learn more about the vital role that space communications plays in NASA's mission, visit nasa.gov scan. For more NASA podcast offerings, visit nasa.gov podcasts. There, you can check out On a Mission, the official podcast of NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. 